all, welcome to Strange as Fiction, episode 28. I'm your host, Austin Miller, and today we are discussing the true story of Thanksgiving. We all know the Charlie Brown version, which is, you know, a great movie, but obviously uh, that and the textbooks, which we get, you know, the majority of our uh, understanding of the Thanksgiving story as a child, do not contain all the details and context. So we'll be going into that. Um, and learning all the, you know, not so talked about details around Thanksgiving and and why we celebrate, how it came about, and maybe some of the uh, details that we curiously left out along the way. Also going on this week, I've been ranking the greatest use of songs in movies on my Instagram page. So if you follow me at Strangest Fiction Podcast, you can go see that and see what some of my favorite uses of songs in movies are. Spoiler alert, Scorsese makes multiple appearances. Um, He is a master of using song in movies. I've also been watching Tulsa King this week, which features Sylvester Stallone. That is on Paramount Plus and Amazon Prime. And man, oh man, Sylvester. Stallone is back. Let's just say it like that. He's he's back. This is a perfect role for him as kind of an aging gangster um, who gets released out of prison after 25 years, and he's trying to navigate his way in the modern world, learning what pronouns are, uh, how to use cell phones, realizing cash isn't king anymore. It's just it's a pretty funny show, uh, really well done, and it's done by Taylor Sheridan, who does Yellowstone. So if you love Yellowstone, you'll love this. Um, but let's move into the news for the week. Um, as always, we go through the news at the top of the show. Then we run into the new releases for the week, what's streaming, what's coming out in theaters. And then finally, we run into the deep dive topic of the week. All right, so we have some Tarantino updates. Quite a Tarantino just keeps popping up in the news um, this this last week for a variety of reasons. One, because uh, he did an interview in which he explains, you know, kind of a little bit more about his thoughts behind why he's only doing ten films. Um, what might this last film be? He sat down with Chris Wallace and said, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing it for 30 years, and it's time to wrap up the show. Like I said, I'm an entertainer. I want to leave you wanting more, you know, and not just work. And I don't want to work to diminishing returns. I don't want to be one. I don't want to become this old man who's out of touch, who had already, I'm feeling a bit like an old man out of touch when it comes to the current movies that are out right now, and that's what happens. Uh, so, so if you don't know, Tarantino, for quite a while, has said he wants to end on 10 films, and he's on nine right now. And so he's got one more film left in him. He's already said that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was his best movie that he's ever made, and that would be kind of his magnum opus. Makes sense since it's sort of a self-reflecting film um, about an aging out star, about Hollywood, just kind of combines his whole love of all these different genres and, and things about Hollywood that he's always loved. Uh, so I, th- I think he's kind of alluded and hinted that his final film will be something different. It's not going to be like this serious magnum opus. Uh, he still doesn't know what it is, though. He said he, he's not really sure what it will be um, and that he's in no hurry to find out what it will be. But he wants to end on 10 movies. And you know, there's been a lot of speculation that it might be a Kill Bill 3. And that's been a rumor that's been going out there for a while. Star Trek, he's always said he's really wanted to do a Star Trek film, which I think would be interesting to see him take that on, give a whole new spin to that that uh, property there. And, yeah, he also made the news because he kind of was riffing on the current state of movies, saying that this might be the worst epic of films, this worst run of films these last few years. Um, this generation is not 
uh, living up to what he feels like generations past have done in terms of film quality, which, you know, I can't completely disagree. Not to say there are gems that pop up here and there, but as a whole, it seems kind of like been a slog. I was just thinking about this year, and I can't really even think of any films that hit theaters that were super memorable, which is kind of sad. But we are also in a different era where TV show quality has gotten way better. So sometimes, you know, a TV show can be way higher quality, more enjoyable, more artistic than things that hit the movie theaters. Um, uh, he also is has announced, is another reason he hit the news, is because he announced he's working on a TV show. Uh, he kept that close to his vest as well. Uh, he In 2005, he did some episodes of CSI, out of all things, which is hilarious. I, I need to go back and see those. I would love to see what he did there. But, uh, yeah, he's also working some TV shows. So, yeah, he's only doing 10 movies, but that doesn't mean he won't work on TV shows as well. So we'll see what, what he's got up his sleeve there. We also learned a little bit more about Indiana Jones this week. Um via empire magazine empire can reveal that indiana jones 5 finds our hero in 1969 living against the backdrop of the space race but the american effort to beat the russians to the moon brings with it some uncomfortable truths for indy the simple fact is that the moon landing program was run by a bunch of ex-nazis indiana jones 5 co-writer and acclaimed british playwright jez butterworth tells empire how X they are in the question, and it gets up Indy's nose. Pitching Indiana, a man always looking to the secrets of the Earth rather than the stars, into the air of the astronaut, finds him even more a man out of time. It's not just that the model of what a hero is has completely changed, says Butterworth. So Harrison Ford is going to be doing um, another Indiana Jones movie, a fifth installment, and this will have to do with the space race, and it'll include Nazis and um you know which you know famously he hates nazis and and that's what makes some of the first films uh so enjoyable this is disgust for for the nazis and uh this will deal with the space race so he'll really find himself kind of out of place here not only age-wise as he's aging but uh expertise-wise as he's never really dealt with this uh frontier before um we have some stranger things updates as well so uh, the Duffer Brothers essentially uh, announced that this final season will be a culmination of all the seasons. We don't know exactly what that means, but they're going to try and combine a lot of elements from all the seasons. And apparently they did a two-hour pitch meeting with the Netflix execs, and the Netflix executives were crying after the pitch, which I don't know how often that happens, but I can't imagine very often, especially uh, seeing as they get to see the sausage being made, how it's made, and, and you know, kind of see all the formulaic, not-so-exciting aspects of creating art and film. Um, but it made him cry, so, you know, it's got to be a pretty powerful ending, I'm sure. Um, and excited to see what comes of Stranger Things Season 5. Mm-hmm. Last season was pretty good. I think Season 1 and 2 are still my favorite, though. Next, we have the Scream filmmakers to helm Escape from New York reboot via Collider. Coming off a number of high-profile projects directing collective, Radio Silence has apparently found its next film. Radio Silence, whose real names are Matt Bettinelli-Open and Tyler Gillette, along with producer Chad Villela, will be directing the long-awaited reboot of the 1981 action classic Escape from New York, originally directed by horror master John Carpenter. If you haven't seen it, Escape from New York is kind of this... It's really, like, forward-thinking in a way. Like, it, it really can kind of predicts the future in a lot of ways, like what we're seeing now in the world. Um, at the same time, it's kind of that 
has some cheesy 80s veneer to it, but it's super enjoyable. Even to this day, it holds up. And Kurt Russell does a great job in it. And I think it's due for a reboot. I don't want every movie ever made to be rebooted, but this is one of those ones I think really could benefit from it. And having the Scream filmmakers behind it makes me think there's going to be a little bit of a horror dark element to it, which could be exciting. Finally, our last piece of news, we have George R.R. Martin animated film, uh, which will be coming to theaters. I'm not sure exactly when. I don't know if they've announced that yet, but essentially it'll be a different story, still within the Game of Thrones universe, but it has to do with an ice dragon, and it's going to be, yeah, an animated full feature-length film. So um, we'll see as more details come out about that. But uh, interesting to see George R. R. Martin working on all these side projects when I know everyone's begging for him to hurry and finish the last and final book of his series. Seems like he keeps getting distracted by all these other things. But you know what? That's his right as creator to do that. Uh, maybe he needs some of these other side projects to distract him um, and take off some pressure of, of writing this final book. Okay, so that wraps it up for the news, which brings us to our weekly releases, which we'll be covering Monday, November 21st through Sunday, November 27th. First up, we have Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. This is the follow-up to the original 2019 Knives Out movie with Daniel Craig. And this is, you know, I just mentioned not having a ton of memorable movies from this year, but this is one of those ones I'm really looking forward to and definitely going to go catch in theaters. We've got Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista, uh, and a bunch of other actors you will recognize. Um, It's kind of an ensemble cast. And basically, famed Southern detective Benoit Blanc travels to Greece for his latest case. Not a whole lot of information in the synopsis there, but if you've seen the trailers, it looks looks like an absolute blast. If you've seen the first one, you know that movie is entertaining from minute one to the final bell rings. And I love mysteries, love Daniel Craig. Definitely going to go catch this. That is dropping in theaters on Wednesday the 23rd. We also have that same day on Netflix. Wednesday, yep, the show called Wednesday. Of course, it's dropping on Wednesday on Netflix. But uh, yeah, that's Wednesday from The Addams Family. Now, this is not something I'd normally be like talking about or bringing up as something to keep your eye out for, except for it's getting really good reviews, not to mention Tim Burton is the one directing it. So some, some good names attached behind it and a lot of good like uh, initial feedback from reviewers and, and critics. Uh, I'll read you one, uh, one portion of a, a review on Variety that says, the opening minutes of Wednesday should ring true to anyone even glancingly familiar with the creepy, kooky, mystery, mysterious, spooky, ooky Adams family. The new Netflix series begins with Wednesday, now a teen played by Jenna Ortega, matching, marching through the brightly colored halls of Nancy Reagan High School to exact bloody revenge on sneering jocks. Following in the footsteps of Christina Ricci's version in Barry Sonnenfeld's 1991 and 93 films, Ortega's grim Wednesday is just as magnetic. As her dastardly plan unfolds, she fo- allows her otherwise determined stoicism to break with a thrill of satisfaction and it's impossible not to feel the same as ortega absolutely nails it again that's the show wednesday dropping on netflix on wednesday finally this week we have a show i am absolutely excited for uh could not be more excited for as guardians of the galaxy is maybe one of my favorite if not favorite uh marvel properties dropping friday november 25th the guardians of the galaxy holiday special on disney plus Gunn has called this one of his favorite stories ever. In the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, the Guardians who are on a mission to make Christmas unforgettable for Quill head to Earth in search of the perfect present. The Marvel Studios special presentation stars Chris Pratt, 
Dave Bautista, Karen Gillian, and Palm Clementif. Featuring Vin Diesel as Groot and Bradley Cooper as Rocket, Sean Gunn in the old 97s with Michael Rooker and Kevin Bacon. Yes, Kevin Bacon. So this synopsis on the Disney Plus uh, website does not mention it, but essentially the plot is that uh, Peter Quill's having a tough time. He's out in space or on some other planet, wherever. And his buddies, Rocket and Groot and everyone, want to cheer him up. They know Peter Quill loves Kevin Bacon, so they think, why not take him back to his home planet of Earth and go hunt down Kevin Bacon? And that's, you know, essentially their Christmas gift to him. So that's about as much as we know, but it seems like a wacky, good, fun time. And I'm really looking forward to something kind of Christmassy that... Uh, mixes up the formula there so that is all for news and new releases let's get into it let's talk the real thanksgiving story i think most of us know the thanksgiving story we were told in school is not the whole story Maybe it was propaganda, or maybe they thought we couldn't handle it. Whatever the reason, I cannot say. As the textbook version goes, a bunch of friendly Indians, tribe unknown, welcome the pilgrims to America and show them how to live off the land. Afterwards, they break bread and give thanks and live happily ever after. In the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving special, Linus says, In the year 1621, the pilgrims held their first Thanksgiving feast. They invited the great Indian chief, Masasui, who brought a great abundance of food. Governor William Bradford and Captain Miles Standish were honored guests. Elder William Brewster, who was a minister, said a prayer that went something like this. We thank God for our homes and our food and our safety in a new land. We thank God for the opportunity to create a new world for freedom and justice. It's also important to note that while the full story is rarely told in context, the general story we hear is based on true events. And while some accounts do their best to portray the dinner as this first contact moment that led to everyone living happily ever after, there are also politicized accounts which try to make it seem as if the events never occurred at all. In one particularly telling New York Times article written by Maya Salam titled, Everything You Learned About Thanksgiving is Wrong, there are many examples of this, many of which have been since been redacted or changed, presumably after she caught some heat for her claims. But if you use the Wayback Machine, which lets you see how a website or page looked on a certain date, you can see some of the earlier claims that were made before she changed them. In her original article, she wrote, quote, There was no turkey or pie. That headline has since been softened and changed to, quote, There's no evidence that turkey was served. In what is generally accepted as a first-hand account by someone who was actually there, William Bradford writes, all summer there was no want, and now began to come in store of fowl as winter approached, to which this place did abound when they came first. And besides waterfowl, there was great store of wild turkeys, of which they took many, besides venison, etc. Besides, they had about a peck of meal a week to a person, or now since harvest, Indian corn to that proportion. In her article, Maya also claims that the Indians were never invited. And while we don't have conclusive evidence one way or another of what brought them into contact, we certainly can assume that at one point or another, they did receive an invite based on the fact that they remained there feasting for three days. Imagine inviting yourself over to your neighbors and staying there three days eating their food. That wouldn't even fly with your closest neighbors. So that seems to be like splitting hairs. Now the real story involves the Wampanoag Indians and despite what the movies and textbooks make us feel, it's not the first contact between pilgrims and Indians. But who were and are the Wampanoags? Nancy Eldridge writes, our name Wampanoag means people of the first light. In the 1600s, we had as many as 40,000 people in the 67 villages that made up the Wampanoag Nation. These villages covered the territory along the east coast, all of what is now Cape Cod and the islands of Nantuc Nantucket and Nope, now called Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard. 
and southeast as far as Poconocket, now Bristol and Warren, Rhode Island. We've been living on this part of Turtle Island for over 15,000 years. The Wampanoag, like many other native people, often refer to the Earth as Turtle Island. Today, about four to 5,000 Wampanoag live in New England. There are multiple Wampanoag communities with smaller groups of communities across the United States and world. The Wampanoag homeland provided bountiful food for fulfillment for all our needs. It was up to the people to keep the balance and respect for all living beings in order to receive all the gifts from the Creator. Because of many changes in North America, we, as the Wampanoag, cannot live as our ancestors did. We adapt, but still continue to live in the way of the people of the first light. By 1621, the Wampanoags already had nearly a century of contact with pilgrims and several incidents of enslavement. Wampanoag leader Osomakin did indeed reach out to the English at Plymouth and wanted an alliance with him. His people had been weakened by an epidemic disease and the Wampanoags desired an ally to fend off other competing tribes. And while some type of relationship was established, the relationship deteriorated with the nail in the coffin being King Philip's War. Prior to the Thanksgiving dinner, Pilgrims had long been holding days of thanks that involved prayer and fasting. One of the most notable occasions being the summer of 1623 when they fasted and a rain ended the drought. The native people also had a tradition of giving thanks with a strawberry Thanksgiving and green corn Thanksgiving. It is said that in the late 18th century, New Englanders felt their status as a state deteriorating, and in order to boost tourism, they started a bit of a PR campaign around pilgrims having been the spiritual fathers and founders of the nation. Alexander Young published a text which included a footnote that said, This was the first Thanksgiving, the great festival of New England. The people latched on to this detail, solidifying it as the, quote, the first official Thanksgiving. Abraham Lincoln wanted to strengthen relationships between the North and the South, during the Civil War and declared it a national holiday. As immigrants continued to arrive by the boatload of more diverse faith backgrounds, namely Catholics and Jews, the Protestants felt threatened once more. In yet another campaign for relevancy and to establish authority, they propagated the story by mentioning that the Indians encouraged them to take over the land, establishing Protestants as the proper heirs to the American throne. From the get-go, not all Wampanoags agreed with Osamuquin's decision to ally with the Pilgrims. There were multiple Shakespearean plots to dethrone him and oust him as leader of the tribe. It's easy to ask, why didn't all Indian tribes and nations gather together to fend off the settlers? Well, prior to the Europeans' arrival, there was no concept of Indians, just people. And after 12,000 years of existence, there was lots of internal politics and rivals between the individual tribes. In many instances, Europeans were seen as tools to finally overcome their pre-existing rivalries. After all said and done, it's true there was a dinner between some 90 Wampanoag men and the English for three days that appears to have been in good spirits. In today's write-ups, there seems to be a lot of assuming, filling in the gaps, politicizations, and so forth. And while we generally can assume this was a joyous occasion, a day of thanks, a tradition that both cultures regularly practice, it's also important to remember that this was in large part a highly curated Instagram photo, a perfectly chosen snapshot in time of a brief shining moment in a long history of violence, slavery, and oppression. It wouldn't be until some 200 years later that this event would be commemorated and thought of as, quote, Thanksgiving. And while I can understand why many Native Americans choose not to celebrate it, from my point of view, it's perfectly fine to commemorate what may very well have been one shining moment in a dark period of history, so long as we truly, truly understand the whole story, try and learn from history's mistakes. We can also choose to view it as an aspirational and communal moment worth having more of, a reminder of what's possible and what's at stake when culture chooses war over food and friendship. Beyond that, words, phrases, holidays, and traditions tend to evolve and take on new meanings over time, and for many, that meaning is not so much a reflection on a 400-year-old dinner in which we don't have many primary sources, but rather an opportunity to give thanks and gratitude for what we have been given today. Simply put, Thanksgiving can mean many things to many different people. As Sally Brown says in Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving special, Anyway, why should I give thanks on Thanksgiving? 
What have I got to be thankful for? All it does is make more work for us at school. All right, everyone, that's the end of the episode. I hope that was helpful and giving a little more context to the Thanksgiving story. Um, if y'all want to fo- follow me on socials, I'm on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. I just joined. Um, so yeah, go ahead, give me a follow. Um, connect with me, suggest future episodes. Enjoy your Thanksgiving dinner or not, depending on whether you celebrate or not. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you guys next week. We don't